The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelloncpa.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highecheloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude's state-of-the-art indoor training center, they are capable of simulating elevation up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times myself ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuel you're burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info at elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or you want to set up an appointment. Again, their website is elementalaltitude.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance's mission is to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and to find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by High Echelon PC, Blue Pineapple Travel, ITO Coaching and Performance, and Elemental Altitude Training Centers. My name is George Darden. I'm a college professor. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. My name is Michelle Frank. I am a CPA, a mom to three girls, and also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. 
I am glad to be with you, Michelle. And we are today talking about our book of the quarter. We are. This is a book that I made an executive decision that we were going to read here for the book of the quarter. Uh, I knew that you had already read it when actually I made the decision that we were going to be reading it, but I figured that we needed kind of something a little bit more straightforward, a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit uh, uh, more certainty that we were probably going to enjoy it. And I feel like we got that with, uh, with Choosing to Run by Des Linden. What do you think? Yeah, I thought it was great. I already had listened to it. Um, I feel like it came out with um kind of a, a set of other books lauren fleshman's book came out and mm-hmm. um kara galtrum's book came out so it was kind of this oh what's next um mm-hmm. i need another book so yeah i listened to it right away um and then i listened to it again recently just to kind of be caught up um and have it fresh to talk about but i loved listening to it the second time as much as the first time it kind of feels like you're just sitting um in an intimate conversation with des and listening to her like tell her, you know, quote unquote, life story, so to speak. So yeah, do, do I think it was ever, a good choice. Do you ever listen to her podcast? She because because she yeah. Goucher recently started a podcast called No One oh, Asks, yeah. right? I, I've listened to every podcast. And mm-hmm. it's pretty. Um, I think if you are a hardcore um, women's running fan, like me, um, so <laughs> you are enamored by like the Des Kara Shalane era of marathoning. Um, and when they first got started, it was clear how, even though we kind of loop these uh, women of the marathon together, they really have nothing to do with each other. Like right. they, you know, they really, their careers, um, they ran parallel, but really they didn't run for the same brand. They never had the same coaches. They were rarely on the same teams. Um, you know, they were on a few teams together, but and as they've gotten more comfortable both with each other and as podcast hosts, the podcast has really evolved and I actually really enjoy it now. Um, but I definitely was kind of like hanging on for the ride at the beginning. It was it was pretty rough to start. So I like the topics that they talk about, but I also love the evolution of them just coming together and finding common ground and um, co-hosting the podcast that they do. So I mean, like what sort of thing they talk about on their podcast, though? I mean, they, a little bit, they kind of started with their own stories and maybe a little bit of trajectories in the career. They've diverted a little bit to talk each of their books. Um, They just did a podcast about kind of like what it's like to be on a world championship team since Budapest is coming up and Kara was doing some of the um, color commentary for uh, the track trials or sorry, for, yeah, for USA's, not the trials. Um, So they sometimes talk about something that's like relevant to the present state of, you know, this week, what's happening in professional running, but other times they're just kind of talking about their, uh, I guess, storied careers in a way. I mean, Des isn't done yet, which is something that we can talk about, but, um, you know, Kara is very much kind of in the next phase of her uh, professional athletic life. So it's interesting to see, um, you know, similar ages and both in very, different places uh with professional running right now but yeah they have a lot in common i mean they they've been through i would say they were you know they were the at the forefront of why we're seeing women's marathoning the way that it is now um so yeah 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 i agree with you on that um i think it's interesting you say that we tend to lump them together but they really they actually really hardly know each other (laughs) right i mean they they, yeah. yeah i think i think you're totally right about that um uh I 
her book, Des Linden's book, like you said, came out the same time as Kara Goucher's book and Lauren Fleshen's book. This book was a little bit less serious than those, though, right? Yeah, this book was just a whole different. Um, you know, I think when you win the Boston Marathon, as Des did, you have an automatic storyline. Um, so I think that there was a lot leading up to that that she wanted to tell, but because um, she is the Boston Marathon champion, that could kind of headline yeah. her story. Whereas yeah. I would say, you know, Lauren, um, the way that she fell out of professional running and everything that happened with Kara's career with, you know, leaving Oregon, Nike Oregon project and everything that's transpired since then. Um, like those two women had really different stories to tell. Uh, that's an interesting point. I think you're totally right. And, yeah. and, interestingly enough, you know, you can, um, they both ran for Nike sponsored schools. They, you know, were both champions in their own right. They both ran professionally for Nike. Um, and Des took a really different path. Like she wasn't recruited out of college to run professionally and yeah. she kind of tuckered up in, in Michigan and just, you know, uh, laid the groundwork for <laughs> what became a, an amazing career. Um, but she didn't really have any of any of what Lauren and Kara went through. So um, yeah. I think it's yeah. good to have both stories out there. You know, I, not I, everything I, is wrought with eating disorders and abuse and et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, and not that she had a real straightforward path, which is something we'll talk about here in just a minute, but you, you heard, or have you heard before people talk about what your paragraph two is? It's like, if they write your obituary, what is paragraph two? Right. Sure. Um, yeah. So George Darden, age 97, died today at home, blah, 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 blah. And then new paragraph, he was. And then it's like, who was he? What, you know, what is your he paragraph to? A co-host right? of the most. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, what else could it be for me? Right. Um, but but uh, Kara Goucher's paragraph two is a lot different from from Des Linden's paragraph two. Her paragraph two undoubtedly is Boston Marathon champion, which is a triumphant story, which is a successful story. Um, and that's that's not necessarily what what uh, Kara Goucher's paragraph two is. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, look, is, you know. Which is not Kara Goucher's fault. I'm not trying to sound that way right. about it at all. Um, but but you, you're right. It, they they have played different roles. They've had different lives, and they have different. I, I like what you said. They have different stories to tell. Yep. Um, yeah. So very good. But yeah, I mean, so Des is made for a much lighter. Um, it was a right. very straightforward, I would say, read. Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. agree with you that like the word straightforward actually is a word that I used when I was uh, putting things down. Um, that doesn't mean it's bad. Like any for by any stretch, I think it was a good book. As a matter of oh, fact, oh yeah. Um, everybody else I know that has read it um, said that they very much enjoyed it. Um, that it was kind of what they were looking for. It was a it was a fun story. It's interesting. It was part and for inspirational. Um, it wasn't too difficult to read, and 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 I think all of that is true. Um, yeah, one of the worst books I feel like I've ever read. One of the worst autobiographies I've ever read by an athlete um, was by uh, Chris McCormick. Um, who was a, a Ironman world champion, a two-time Ironman world champion um, about 15 years ago. Um, and his was just basically about how awesome he was. Like he <laughs> used the word, he used the word dominated in in that book. No joke, probably 30 times. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and it was always in the context of I dominated this particular race or I dominated this person um in this particular race. And and this was not that way at all. 
Um, this felt like a much more humble telling of the story. Um, I was reminded on several occasions of um, the book 26 Marathons that I read by Meb Kofleski. Um, it kind of had a very similar feel to that, that, that yeah. it's a good story. It's a success story, but it's fairly straightforward. Um, and, and there's some humility involved, which, you know, I think, I think Americans always appreciate. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about how the story was told. So because her paragraph two is that she's a Boston marathon champion, um, basically the book for the first I would say three quarters of the book kind of traded chapters back and forth between being a Boston Marathon race report, almost kind of telling the story of her 2018 Boston Marathon. And then my childhood, then yep. mile one of Boston, and then my running in high school, and then mile two of Boston. And then it kind of went back and forth and back and forth like that for, a, I guess, it probably about the first two thirds of the book. Um, and then once she crossed the finish line of Boston and she had that, she then in fairly rapid succession went through all the stuff that she's done since then, like uh, when she did the 50K world record and when she did that challenge where you run one mile on the first day of the month and two miles on the second day of the month. Um, she did that back in October of, was it October, 2020 that she did that? Um, uh, something like that. Um, yeah. but, but I think it was, cause I think it, I think it was related to pandemic stuff. Um, but, um, but it kind of, kind of talked about all of that afterwards. Um, she didn't get into the fact that the too much that she's still kind of competing, but I think you're very much left with that impression that, that. This is just kind of something that she does and she's going to keep on doing for a while. Um, like you said, she, she tweeted, just yesterday, I want to say, uh, faster as a master with a question mark than, you know, basically, which was her way of announcing that she's doing Chicago um, in a couple of months. Um, yeah, so. I think the book does a good job of making clear that her story um, as a professional distance runner is still being written. Yeah, um, exactly. she might never have another world marathon major, you know, top of the podium, but it's very clear that she's not she's not done with running. So. Yeah. Yeah. And as somebody who is still not done with running <laughs> and, and has done a few things and who, who, who presumably most of my PRs, if not all of my PRs are behind me, I'm, I'm not through with it either. Um, that's something I appreciate for sure. You know, um, I, uh, I, there were, there were several things about it, kind of specific things about it that sort of stood out to me. So I guess we can kind of talk about all of those, the things that, that, that sort of stood out to us and the stuff, stuff that we really appreciated. One of the things that really stood out to me, um, was how much she wrote about feeling out of place. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. Like that, that was a recurrent theme. She, she felt like she never really entirely belonged. And in some ways she hinted that even amongst distance runners, she didn't feel as if she actually totally belonged um, until she won Boston. She, she almost had this sort of like imposter syndrome type thing going on um, until 2018 for most of her career. She's never felt like she, 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 she fit in with everybody else. Did you get that impression too? Yeah. And I honestly wonder if that's just a huge part of being part of um, Keith and Kevin Hansen's mm -hmm. Brooks um, training group. Yeah. You know, I think they very much um, they have a system and the way that they do things and the way that their athletes live and where their athletes live and whether they work and how they're paid. And I feel like it's not the word cult has got too much of a negative connotation to it, but I think 
those Brooks-based athletes in Michigan are very separated from the rest of the professional running world. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think a huge part of that also, and she really struggled with this during the book, was, um, you know, her as a person and as a runner, um, like outside of the Hanson's world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't, and I think part of her, um, you know, grooming as a professional runner, I think she was so intricately woven with the brothers in their system that she never really uh, had a chance to kind of like mesh or fit in. That being said, running is like a very individual sport. Um, So I can see how somebody with her tenure and her experience, if you're in a training group and you're the top of that group for so long, you're the only person who, you know, is really a female in contention for the Olympic team. Um, you're never really going to altitude with a group of people. I mean, she's, she was kind of a loner. Um, I I can see why she really felt and continued to feel like an outsider. Um, but I, but I think, you know, I would commend like Josh Cox and, um, the Boston athletic association, like the people that believed in her are, are like the people that, that really, I feel like brought her to you know what she is now so to speak Um, yeah yeah i mean i I think it's interesting because it it was not a story and i've read this story before too and i like this this story i like the story of somebody saying i never really found a home until i joined my cross-country team and then i found my home and i felt like i was among my people like that was not the story right no not at all (laughs) and, and, and i but that that's what was so interesting to me is that she's like well i always kind of felt like i was an outsider and then i became this distance runner which is all, which is kind of filled with outsiders, but still was never entirely felt like I was a part of this group. And then to your point, yeah, she, she, rather than getting a Nike contract or something else like that and moving to altitude in California or Boulder, Colorado, or someplace like that, she moves to Michigan um, and, and is sponsored by Brooks by all the people. And so, so it just, it felt like it was not just there was some sort of combination of who she was and the path that she followed and, and the environment that just continued to make her feel as if she was always kind of on the fringes. Um, and, 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 and to me that kind of casts a lot of her performances in a different light because like looking back until she won Boston in 2018, I mean, she had like second place at Boston, second place at Chicago, second place at the Olympic trials. It was like all of these sort of near misses. Do you see what I'm saying? And and it was like, she never really felt like she was a part of the group until she had that one big, like she never had an NCAA championship, right? Like she, she, she never had that one big win that made her feel validated. I suppose as, as, as a runner, as a per not as a person, but as, as, as a running person until Chicago or until Boston of 2018. And I thought that was, yeah, that was. Very yeah. I do think that, that, you know, she weaves that really just from the time that she was a little child and like her parents' expectations. And she makes it pretty clear in the book that, you know, she made it a point through most of her life to kind of defy what, her parents expected her to do or wanted her to do and and kind of paved her own path. Um, So it's easy to see how that, you know, she became like the quote unquote, or felt like the outsider, even in the world that that she was in. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you can have like a pride in that. And then you can also just be a little bit saddened by that. Um, So I think she she had a bit, she had a bit of both of those. 
Yeah. But once she won Boston, you know, she, I don't know if she spoke about this in the book, but I've definitely heard her talk about this. Like she made over a million dollars that year. Like that, that, that changed her life. That was a, a life changing moment. So with that, you know, comes deservedly a, a whole new level of like self-confidence and, you know, put yourself out there and, um, she can kind of be the badass that she is and not not care what people say or think, but also yeah. like not be on the outside. Like she is yeah. a Boston Marathon champion now. She is part of maybe the most coveted club in, you know, in professional yeah. marathoning ever. And, and, <laughs> so she's and, in now. <laughs> and, and and Boston for 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 whatever other flaws the Boston Marathon might have, the Boston Marathon really highly reveres its champions, right? Yeah. Like um, and so, so they, since then, since 2018, and she was the first American winner in 33 years when she won too. So like, she's like super revered, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, so they have, and they continue to, and they should, and I hope they always do. They have put her on a very high pedestal um, since 2018. And so, so in addition to the money that she made that year, which she didn't mention in the book, that's the first time I've heard that. Um, but in addition to the amount of money she made that year, which for better, or for worse in the United States, that is a, 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 an indication of success. Um, uh, so in addition to the money she made that year, the, this, the, the amount this of, of exaltation that she got as a result of, of winning that championship um yeah yeah I, I think it's interesting what you talk about how her being like simultaneous simultaneously prideful and saddened of the of her sort of outsider status um because she she kind of attributes a lot of it to her dad and to her relationship with her dad and but you also get the impression that she doesn't really know how to feel about her relationship with her dad like yeah she doesn't know whether she likes him or not like it like right. she basically talks about like what a difficult relationship she had with them over the first several chapters and but then like some sort of change happened halfway through the book and i missed it when it happened and she starts talking about him in a very positive way and about how she's proud of the person that he made her and i didn't totally understand where that came from but i do think that it kind of matches that kind of dual um that dualistic nature of 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 her feelings about who she is um yeah and you know and i would say she had some other moments in the book um like maybe coming in second at the trials she had other moments where there could have been you know a big after party so to speak right in that moment but she made it very clear that you know she had ryan her husband there and that was the only person there for her and that was just the way she wanted it so mm-hmm. Some of this was definitely like self-perpetuated, but obviously once you win the Boston Marathon, it feels good to, you know, to, to be part of, to be, to really be part of something. Um, yeah. So yeah. I no, think she's I, cemented, cemented her spot at this point. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, and, and, you know, she was, she was almost there for so long that there was probably a degree to which she had to tell herself on multiple occasions over the course of a decade plus that all that really mattered was the fact that Ryan was there, the fact that Josh was there, that the fact that the people closest to her were there and that she had those people. She probably had to actually tell herself that a lot too, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then suddenly, you know, what she does, it doesn't just matter to to Ryan and to Josh. And they're, they're not the only people that are there for her anymore. Um, but, but so that was another thing that stood out to me that, that when you mentioned Josh Cox a few minutes ago that, that I did want to mention um, is that she does um, give a shout out to a few people that 
were really instrumental in helping her become who she became. Um, and one of them, interestingly enough, I mean, you would expect her husband to be, okay, got it. And that's not trying to minimize that in any sort of way, but okay, um, you know, you would expect that. Um, but one of them was her agent, Josh Cox. Yeah. Right? And and it was probably more insight into the agent athlete relationship than I think I've ever read. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean it, it was like Jerry Maguire for distance. So Josh Cox took a lot of slack after the 2018 Boston Marathon win because he went in and hugged her and embraced her before her husband even did. Hmm. Um and he and I think rightfully so, and I you know, I've never heard this asked to her, but I think that she had a chance in her book to really explain the relationship and explain why, like, that was okay, guys. Like, that's exactly yeah. what I wanted and who I would have wanted to be there in the moment. Yeah. And if you feel like he's stealing the show or trying to take the place of, you know, my husband or my sister or whatever, you guys don't understand our relationship. Like, right. that's exactly who she wanted to come in. Um, although she seemed pretty happy about Joni. <laughs> uh, but after that, you know, so I thought that was a good window into, oh, this is why that Boston finish line scene in 2018 makes so much sense mm -hmm. if you're Des Linden, the winner. Um, yeah. So, yeah. See, that, I, I didn't know there was controversy around it, but but it makes perfect sense to me that he would be the one hugging her, right? That he would be the one congratulating her, giving how close their relationship actually was. Um, I mean, again, I, I came away with it with this sort of real Jerry Maguire type feeling that that she was far more to him or uh, he was far more to her um, than, than simply her agent. Um, he was somebody who, uh, in, in a lot of ways, showed her some really unequivocal support um, at a time that she very much needed it. Now, one of the th places that she needed a lot of support was when it actually came to Hanson's, which I thought was interesting, right. too. It got a little awkward there with Hanson's. <laughs> a little awkward, yeah. Um, I'll just say one more thing about Josh Cox is they both engaged with each other in the athlete agent relationship at a time um, when she needed somebody to to help her navigate as she was becoming more valuable. But he was also finishing his professional running career and trying to figure out like a pathway. So like she kind of made him he was she's like his trial run or his like beta, you know, like so they kind of yeah. they grew up in this agent athlete world together. Um, I, I don't know if she hadn't have, you know, told him she wanted him to represent her and X, Y, and Z. Like, I don't know if Josh Cox would be the agent that he actually is today. So I think they have a, a like a mutual respect for each other um, in that role also. So, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so let's talk about her with Hanson's thing. Cause I thought this oh, was gosh. interesting <laughs> and, and, and I'm glad she wrote what she wrote, but it actually, uh, it bummed me out a little bit because <laughs> I've always kind of, yeah. you know, um, but, but, she uh, and you were probably more aware of this than I was, but I didn't realize that she had gotten to a place in her career before she left Hanson's where things really weren't going well. Um, and she felt hemmed in by them um, and she disagreed with some of their decisions and she felt as if they were limiting her. Um, yeah. So, you know, she gives a timeline in the book, but um, she ran the 2017 Boston Marathon. She talks a lot about like, the super shoes and um you know kind of what happened there and she had such great fitness and then she went to half marathon in australia and she bombed it and there's a lot of other stuff but if you're just following the sport at that time 
um, as she said in the book, you thought she had taken a mental health break and there really hadn't been any talk much about her in the build up to 2018. Um, People really, I can just remember not even knowing if she was back running, but when everything happened with Dathan Ritzenheim, who was a former Nike Oregon project athlete, he was part of the whistleblowing with Alberto Salazar. He implicated himself in, um, you know, infusions and et cetera. When she tweeted the backpack tweet, which basically like made a mockery of him after it was released that he was considering going to um, Kevin and Keith Hansen, the coaches in, in Michigan and joining the same Brooks group. It was very clear that something was uh, very wrong with Des and, and the relationship with those coaches. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't, you know, she made it very clear at the Boston marathon press conference that year, but I was most surprised in the book. Um, and maybe we really shouldn't have been, but like, she really didn't hold back. <laughs> like she just kind of laid it out there kind of how that relationship fell apart. Right. Um, but I do sense, and I, and I like a tremendous amount of sadness, like not that she um, regrets severing the the relationship, but I do think that it was, that it was such a sad falling out for her um, in many ways. Okay. So yeah, you, you mentioned the, the backpack tweet there um, just kind of a little bit of background for everybody listening. So in 2017, Dathan Ritzenhine, um, was not a coach yet. He was still running um, and and was leaving Nike and and had been implicated, as Michelle said, in a lot of the doping allegations that that were uh, facing Alberto Salazar at that time. Um, and right around that time, Des Linden sent out a tweet that had a picture of Alberto Salazar wearing a backpack right next to a pigeon wearing a backpack. And the pigeon had a backpack filled with ecstasy. Um, and in the tweet, she put, who wrote it better? Uh, who wore it better? Who wore it better, um, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, thereby suggesting that that Alberto Salazar probably had a bunch of illegal drugs inside of his backpack. Now, didn't say anything about how, I can't believe we're bringing on Dathan Ritzenheim, but in a very kind of savage yet yet subtle way uh, was suggesting that she didn't really appreciate the fact that Dathan Ritzenheim was coming to, to, to run at the the place where she had been running right um it, it was pretty soon after that they parted ways right um yeah i mean by the time she you know explains the health crisis that she went through um in the fall of 2017 after a dismal showing trying to run um, a half marathon in australia that summer actually the same one that kiara damato just rebroke the american record at she you know it's very clear that in the 2018 build-up she just kind of pieced it together herself. Mm -hmm. um, and she had a lot of input from John Ball, who is a famous chiropractor in Arizona that a lot of athletes use. And she definitely followed like a Hanson system. Um, they just weren't like intimately involved in her training as they had been every other time she went to go line up for a marathon. She also didn't have the health to, to run the way that they would have wanted her to train in a build for this marathon. So I think it was just a good she had enough information and, you know, enough support from Walt Drenth, who's her coach now, just people to, to bounce ideas off of really. Right. Like the idea yeah. was just to get to the marathon start and, and do what she could on the day. And yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at, at bottom, she basically says that, yeah. that, that they, they didn't really change their program, change their approach in order to help me through the health issues I was going through at this time. Um, 
And if I had been performing better or if they valued me more, they would have done that. Um, right. And and I get that. I totally agree with her on that. Um, they kind yeah, of said, this I mean, is our program and 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 this is what you follow. And she said, well, the program's not working for me. And they said, well, this is our program. Um, right. And and you've always done it in the past. Why don't you continue doing it? And so, so yeah. So she ended up going out and finding new coaches and finding new people. Um, one of them being John Ball, the guy that I would not have known who John Ball was had, had you not told me about him a few years ago. But yes, a chiropractor <laughs> of high renown who lives in Arizona. Is that right? Yeah, he's, I mean, people go to Phoenix just to, yeah. uh, he's yeah. been around a long time. Like Lauren Fleshman has stories of living out of her van to like be treated by John Ball in like 2006, seven, eight, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's legend. He yeah. is a legend, legendary, yeah. And so, and so through all of this, she has Josh Cox as as a sounding board and somebody who's supporting her and as somebody who, who has a vested interest in her probably kind of staying the course and being a continued source of, of unbroken income for him. Um, and yeah. like, no, do what you need to do. Take some financial risks, go to these different places. Um, and and that's, that's not the sort of thing that you would necessarily expect from a high powered agent who's trying to show you the money. Right. Um, and so but she so, also had the communication. She also had the communication from Brooks that at least from the outside, it needed to look like her relationship with Keith and Kevin were intact. Like it was clear that something was wrong or wasn't as it always had been, but they definitely, you know, weren't interested in, in that coming to light for the public. So that yeah. must've been tough for Josh. Right. Because yeah. He's got Brooks on one end and Keith and Kevin on the other, but he really represents the best interest of his athlete. Um, so yeah. that seemed like a lot of muddy water to to have to navigate. Um, for sure. For sure. But you know what? <laughs> once you once you win Boston, you can suddenly those things become easier get what to navigate. You want. <laughs> yeah. It's like okay. <laughs> Brooks, sure. I'm sure, will keep me, right? Like <laughs> sure, for sure. And so which and this is a good segue into into the next point I, I wanted to, to talk about here. Um, and so she like we said before, she bounced back and forth between a Boston race report and sort of a an autobiography in the first two thirds of the book. Um and and she talks about sitting on the bus, um, riding to the starting line, which by the way, it's hilarious that they're all sitting on the bus riding to the starting line together. Um, uh, but she sits on the bus and rides to the starting line, uh, with the other pro athletes in much the same way that the majority of age group athletes who run Boston do. Um, but she probably, she gets heated bus and bathrooms. Right. Important, <laughs> important distinction. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but all these athletes are kind of getting on, they're all sort of nodding to each other and stuff like that. And she has her bag and her in the seat next to her and so John Ball <laughs> gets on the, on the bus and then she picks her bag up out of the seat and he sits down next right. to her. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, um, uh, yeah, she said she made it clear that the seat next to her wasn't available and she was in the third row. So I'm sure most people got on the bus and looked at her yeah. and like, she made it clear, like they should just keep walking. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and then, and then so the two, and he of course knows what she's been going through because he's been helping her a lot through these, these thyroid issues that she's having there in the, in the lead up 2018 race. And, and the thing that stood out to me the most, and the thing I, I never fully wrapped my mind around until I read this book was that, that she had no inkling whatsoever that she was going to win. Like she was not going there to win. Like, like she and John Ball spent most of the trip there talking about what would be the most ideal point at which she was going to drop out of the race. Like, 
I, I knew I had heard before, of course, that she had been thinking about dropping out of the race earlier on in the race. Right. I, I mean, I had heard that and then she decided to stay in it. How about Shalane Flanagan? Like we've all read that story of, of the race for it. I didn't realize the 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 degree to which it was calculated. Felt, yeah. That she felt unprepared and had no plans whatsoever of even finishing this race. I mean, but it's important <laughs> you know to, yeah, but it's important to remember that she had no plans of finishing the race because she was trying to um, keep intact, like the next few years of professional running to her. She had right. the 2020 Olympics on her mind and she felt like she was on the perfect path to getting back to not only the runner that she was before she dealt with the um, thyroid issue, but to be even better. Mm -hmm. Um, and they just felt, you know, like going the 26.2 miles could really set her back just too far in terms of being, you know, less than two years out from the Olympic trials, so to speak. Um, so it wasn't, uh, just, I don't feel good. I'm not at my best. It was just like, what is best for the next two years of my career in this Olympic cycle and not running the full marathon was what made the most sense. And that's, and that, that's a good distinction. Um, you're totally right about that. That's a good distinction, but nonetheless, like I didn't know that that was the place where she was. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, like to me, it was, it was that, okay, so she's been injured and she's on her way back, but the idea, uh, of her not finishing, like, I didn't realize that not only was, was on the radar, but was actually like part of the plan (laughs) that, that she, she, she had really no plans to, to really finish that race. Um, uh, and, and again, if anything, it was the opposite. She had the plans not to finish the race. Um, but here she was actually on the bus on the way there, um, thinking she was going to DNF. Yeah. It's interesting to hear, you know, right after the race when, um, you know, Shalane would basically recap the situation of Des saying, Hey, it's not my day. You know, I don't, I don't know how much farther I'm going to go, but let me know if you need anything. Um, but then when you read what's actually behind that it 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 just like is oh my gosh like that's it just makes the whole story crazy oh yeah crazy (laughs) to to, to me like so so that that point where roughly one third of the way through the race where she pulls up to let next lane planning and says hey it's not really my day but i'm willing to help you out if you want to go for the win like right that that to me the context in which i had always seen that was she got out there and just wasn't feeling good like right, we, exactly. we've, all had, we've all had bad days in the marathon. Right. So she got out there and she just wasn't feeling good and was like, all right, well, this isn't great. And, but it sure would be a fantastic story if Shalane won. So I'm going to help her win. Not, not understanding that, right. that literally she was on the starting line with like, yeah, it's not my day today. Like she thought that from the start, like she would she yeah. plan for it to be her day. <laughs> right. And I think and also, it was. <laughs> and, and I think a huge part of her, her comeback and getting back the strength to even be on that starting line was that adrenaline rush from watching Shalane having won New York um, the previous November. And I honestly think she, after running Rio with Shalane and going through that experience with her, I think like she, as much as she wanted to win Boston, she knew with all the certainty in the world that 2018 wasn't going to be her year, but it would be incredible if it could be Shalane's year. So why not help? Why not help the woman who, yeah, she has, a world medal and um you know a new york city marathon champion but everybody knows she wants 
to be the Boston Marathon champion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was super genuine. Also, she really wanted to to help her out. But, yeah, she, yeah, she talked about she talked about how she bonded with Shalane Flanagan as part of that 2016 Olympic team. Yeah, which I appreciate it. Um, which I appreciate it. Um, so so yeah, I, I I just thought that was a fascinating like of of all the things that she said about the Boston Marathon, and she of course said a lot about the Boston Marathon as she should have that year. That was the thing that stood out to me the most. Um, it's like yeah. Um, I just yeah I, I I've listened to it twice now but I just it's still hard to imagine you know once she's at like 20 21 22 23 miles just the going from like the lowest of lows on that drive out to Hopkinton yeah. to oh my gosh I'm actually she, gonna she do was, this she was literally <laughs> it wasn't until she had moved into second and suddenly kind of locked on to first and realized that she was catching first that she actually said oh wait maybe I should finish this race after all what you know um like like it, it was it was within within 10 minutes like o- only 10 minutes before her taking the lead of the race she was like okay is this a good place to drop out okay I think this she- might be the spot like, she wasn't running same. she wasn't running to take the lead she was just she finally right. hit a groove right and she was gradually catching the leaders right um and, and, and without and, it felt like it was realized not, that nobody else was really going with her to do it yeah yeah and she she writes it as if like just because she was running the tangents and mastering the course the way that she knows how it was just like she was out for a sunday long run Mm-hmm. And she just happened to be catching the leaders and moving into the lead of the Boston Marathon. Like, how cool? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> very cool. <laughs> so very cool indeed. Yeah, I totally agree with on that. Um, uh, all right. So let's talk about a couple other things that stood out to us. Um, you know, one of the things that definitely stood out to me, and I, and I, this is, like I said, I thought about uh, Mev Kofleski's book, um, not Mev for Mortals, where he talks a lot about training, but the one 26 marathons where he talks about basically every marathon he's ever run um, and all the the struggles he's faced along the way. It's much more of an autobiography. It's much more a memoir. Um, the thing that stood out to me when I read Meb's book that also stood out to me here was you see these pro athletes that that have won medals and championships and and all that sort of thing and you think that they live this charm life and you're struggling with your own injuries and you're having to go through rehab and you're having to to compromise and rewrite your training schedule and all these other things like that and you're like you're like oh they're just so lucky right um they're, they're just so lucky they don't face these sort of injuries and these sort of setbacks that i face and they really do like in 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 26 marathons like Meb Kaflesi spent more of his professional career injured than he spent it not being injured, it felt like. Um, and that was one of the things I got from, from this book, too, is that that she has not had this like super straightforward path in which she's been able to, to just kind of pile on training after training after training after training. She's had multiple obstacles and serious, potentially career ending injuries and sicknesses along the way. Um, I, I don't perhaps I draw too much solace from that than I should. Um, perhaps it's way too much on the front of my mind. But I mean, what do you think about that? I, I, I just think I, it's inspiring to see, see that these other really successful people have also had to face very similar hurdles. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think she had a hurdle, but I would say that she fundamentally had 10 years, you know, from Arizona State to when she was injured ahead of the London Olympics in 2012 of like uninterrupted training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think and there's more detail about this in the book. And she, I think she lets the Hansons off too easily with that injury that forced her 
to only start the marathon in London in 2012. I think it was pretty clear that their idea for how she should best train for that and how she should run just broke her. Yeah, the Olympics um, in 2012, to be clear, not just yeah, the Olympics, Olympics in 2012. Olympics. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I totally, I, I'm surprised that she had the relationship with them post 2012 Olympics and recovery from that energy, energy recovery from that injury um, up until 2017 that she did because. I don't know. I think I probably would have left them uh, after that experience. But once she recovered from that and she did have to go from nothing, basically, um, she really didn't have any other physical injury until she dealt with the major health crisis of the hypothyroidism in late 2017. So, yeah, definitely had uh, challenges and injuries. But I would say of all the professional runners, she's probably been injured the least, you know, she doesn't um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if I think about Kara and Shalane's knee surgeries and um, just all the surgeries that we hear about, like mm -hmm. this is pretty, mm -hmm. pretty resilient. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, 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 I hear you. Um, and, and, and like I said, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe I'm making too big a deal of it because I think you're all right. She, 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 there is a degree to which she has been able to remain largely injury free. Um, but nonetheless, it's still just whenever I read professional runners talking about having, you know, injuries that knock them out for years and years and, and injuries that knock them out of the Olympics. Right. I mean, she qualified. It's like, Oh wow. She's so lucky. She's so fantastic. She qualified. Yeah. yeah. But then she didn't I get think... to run it because she was injured. Like, like, I feel like we've all kind of been there that you track, you train for and you travel to this big major race that you really cared about deeply. And then you got injured. I mean, it's obviously a different scale. Right. But it's yeah. just, but, but I don't know. It just makes it, it, it makes me feel better about the fact that I have had to deal with injuries over the course of the past 30 years. Yeah. yeah. I think unlike you though, she doesn't have a, a recurring issue that <laughs> continually you know she has to shift her training and she might not be able to run this race it's like she had some big um speed bumps along the way but once she got over them you know i don't she doesn't it's not like a recurring injury type thing but you know I, what I, I, if it makes you feel better me. you go with it thank, thank you thank you Michelle. appreciate it uh, <laughs> no, no, I, I, this is this is merely a speed bump for me too by the way i mean it's a speed bump i've been dealing with for for coming on eight years now but still just a speed bump <laughs> i'm gonna get over it one day it's gonna i'm, I'm gonna find the keys to unlocking uh, the surgeon that's gonna uh, pain-free pain-free running uh my achilles will one day be okay um uh if you have the surgery at um the clinic in Vail, the famous one i'll come visit you oh thank you for that i appreciate <laughs> that because i know that would be all about me and not about you spending extra time in Vail. i'm sure um yeah um all right um uh, the other thing, uh, there's lots of little small things in here, obviously, like I, she had a quotation in there that I appreciate at one point. She said, it's impossible to get quality sleep the night before a major marathon. Any th anyone who said yes. differently is either a liar or a sociopath. <laughs> yes, I know. Like, yeah. so that, yeah. that sentence, I did like that line. A, a liar or a sociopath, I feel like that only does can just like call people a sociopath and it, and it fits <laughs> and it's funny and it's, uh. Like that part of her personality, I think, is why she's so loved, honestly. Yeah. Um, she's just so, like, she is just cold. Bur Bourbon stone is killer. whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, um, that, kind of, that kind of straightforward, dry sense of humor, kind of. Yeah. 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 
Um, so, and I feel like she doesn't get accused of being um, mean when she's like that. Like mm-hmm. I do sometimes. <laughs> and it's just like part of her personality and people really like it. Um, so, yeah. but yeah, that was a great line in the book. So I agree. I agree. Um, um, all right. A couple other kind of quick things we'll talk about here and then we'll wrap it up. One, she does talk a lot and, and you and I have talked about this a little bit. You and I were texting about it um, with regards to Nikki Hilt's just last week, as a matter of fact. Um, but Des Linden talks about the importance of mental preparation and the importance of being in the right headspace. Um, and there's a degree to which whenever I read that, I'm like, eh, because because I, I feel like I have heard professional athletes talk about, oh, it's so important to be mentally strong when I'm like, okay, yeah, but you're also really, really talented. Like you also have some other gifts too, right? Um, but that being said, um, um, I do think she talks a lot about how getting her head right um, has played an important role in her performances. Um, and I think that's, a, that's an important thing, right? Yeah. I, I'm like full on in belief. Um, she believed she could be the Boston marathon champion. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it happened in 2018, it might not have been, and she was very clear that it's not at all the day that she pictured, the circumstances, the weather, uh, all of the details. Yeah. Yeah. But it was still what she had planned for and believed that she could achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I don't think I don't think you can do that without um, really putting in that hard mental work. And and we were talking about Nikki because, you know, you saw um their run in the mile was it the mile just recently um plus you know uh their win at usa's and you said what is nikki hiltz done differently you know in the past year and and i listed off of nikki hiltz has won all three u.s championships this year (laughs) the the indoor mile they set a record in the outdoor mile and the outdoor 1500 right right on fire on fire. So I was able to respond to you with a list of, you know, certain things, different coach, different sponsor, but really I I just think they have their head in the most perfect headspace um, yeah. that we've ever seen them race with. And I think they've worked really hard to to lean in on that belief yeah. in themselves. Um yeah. so Uh, But I agree it a little bit wears me down, right? Because it's like, okay, well, I could also believe that I, you know, could, you know, win, I don't know, (laughs) Peachtree or something, right? Like, but really, it's not ever even remote, like top 1000 and get myself a a cup or a pint glass and 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 you know, yeah. Um, Um, But yeah, yeah, I mean, it's right, there is there is more to it. But I just think when you're up at that level, and there's so many of them that are at any given time. I mean, you know, the 1500 in USA is just crazy. We saw, so, you know, Olympians not even make the final. Um, you have to have that head game. Like you have to, you have to have that. That could be the extra 0.1%. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. For sure. For sure. And, and, and at that point, um, at that, that level of sport, that, that with, with a few exceptions, that's the difference. Like, like it's less than 1% different. You know, you and I both watch a lot of the Tour de France and we'll talk about this next time we're, we're on the podcast together uh, once we get Eric back with us. Um, but the Tour de France, 
I, I I'm always struck by how much how much better and and how how much on a different level the winners are than the middle of the pack. But then if you actually really look at it closely, the winners are only getting up the mountain two minutes faster than the middle of the pack. You know, whereas whereas if you look at the winners compared to like me or like an average cyclist, they would literally be 20 minutes faster than we would. Right. And so so the the, the margins are so small among the elite um, that, that, yeah, once you you have to kind of get your head game right, if you're going to be able to finish first rather than seventh, even that's only a one second difference, but it, it makes all the difference. Right. Um, yeah, I yeah. think so. Um, all right. Um Last thing I'll say about it, and this feels a little bit weird to, to end on a criticism. Um, I, I do think that it was, like I said earlier, um, it went back and forth between like a race report and a biography of her early life. Um, and then once she kind of finishes talking about Boston, once she kind of finishes flipping back and forth, like trading chapters, she just kind of says, okay, and here's all the things I've done since 2018. And the <laughs> pace of the book kind of picks up at that point, And it yeah. feels kind of scattered. It, it feels almost like she's like, okay, well, now I got to tell you about this 50K record I did. Now I got to tell you about the uh, the October of 2020 when I did, you know, the the run the number. October, yeah. Day. Like, and, and so 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 it kind of ended on what felt, it felt a little rushed at the end. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, um, and, and maybe that's and maybe that's because of what we said at the outset, that her story is still being written, that her story is still being told. Like she didn't wrap up with one big macro lesson because she doesn't know what that big macro lesson is yet because her career is still going on. Right. Yeah. I mean, it seems like, you know, her dad is kind of an overriding um, presence in the book, but it seems like when she talks about seeing him after the Boston Marathon win and and him crying, like what else is there for her to say? Like that's kind of the she did everything, you know, she is the athlete that she is because of how he raised her. She also did everything possible to defy what her parents wanted for her, where she went to college, what she did with her career. But like, she still, you know, ended up right back on top as one of the greatest athletes runners ever. So it's, it's, uh, I hate you, dad. And I love you, dad, right? Like, <laughs> I hate what you did. Um, and, and the pressure that you put on me, but thank you for, for leading me down that path. Um, but yeah, so then it just kind of feels like she does just fill in the pieces of, you know, yeah. what happened after Boston. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, we'll like see that, that, that dad crying at the finish line. Like, I hate you, dad. I love you, dad. That would have been like the perfect ending. Right. Yeah. But, no, but yeah, you're right. But that's not the end of the story because. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, Listen, she's still, you know, I mean, she's not on podiums or anything, but everything she's done fourth place at the Olympic trials. I mean, she's 40 years old and she's still running with the best of the best. She's super consistent. She's top American in New York a few times. Top, sorry, among the top American women in New York. Um, you know, I think um, I'm happy she's she's still going for it and it'll be interesting to, to keep following her. Um, and, and it would be interesting you know, if she does like a 10 year look back, like all the ways and decisions that she made post Boston 2018 that, that she might've not made had she not won that race. Yeah, um, for sure. But I would also say it's five and a half hours on audible. So it's almost like a long form, very long form podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and it's totally doable. Like if you have two long runs and marathon training, this is, you know, this is a great, um, can knock it out. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah no, an it, easy listen yeah. w worth it a uh, worth it to listen so i had i had essentially 
Like I, I read bits and pieces of it for a little while, like as it was on my nightstand before I went to sleep. Right. And then I yeah, maybe you like can check two, it out. Yeah. I had maybe like two extended, like, let me sit down and read. And I had like two extended afternoons of a couple of hours and that was it. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, there's no um, issues like an unnamed book that we read last quarter of getting into it. It just kind of <laughs> takes you right in um, and you can start and stop and you're not yeah. missing anything or confused by anything you don't need a freaking dictionary to get through the book <laughs> and that's what we were looking for like i said that's what we were looking yeah. for um and and yeah. as i say this i realized that we haven't actually collaborated on what our book of the quarter for for this quarter is going to be and so that's something we'll have to talk about over the course of the next little while here um and so so stay tuned for that announcement yeah um, uh, better note to end on here. So she is running Chicago, like I said before. She is. Um, do you know about her training, like how she's been doing or, and, and all that sort of thing? Like what's she been posting? So the problem is, is she was um, pretty fit in Boston. And I think she, she had an okay showing there. Um, and I think she was hoping to build on it, but she had a horrible accident with their fishing boat. She literally almost lost her thumb. Really? Um, so like just, she just in the last couple of months. Yeah. So this is like, right. As I think the lake started to defrost. Literally, this is probably may. Um, hmm. she it's, it's super gross. Um, the detail, but yeah, I mean, she basically showed up at the emergency room and they like saved her thumb and stitched it back. So okay. she lost a few weeks at the beginning of the summer, which, okay. you know, I, I sometimes think that turns, can turn in your favor because she was rested. Um, but she definitely seems pretty excited about Chicago and all roads point to her racing the trials in Orlando in February, which will be awesome. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, one of the reasons she's going to Chicago, obviously she's going for that master's marathon record, like the real one. Yeah. Unlike some other professional runners. Unlike Sarah Hall. It. Yeah. <laughs> um, unlike, unlike Sarah Hall, who ran fast in Boston, but is now calling herself the American Masters record holder, even though she's not. Which Because Boston is not. Is not a record eligible course. course. Right. Yeah, but, but, but she's been calling us. And this is, by the way, the, the same reason why I've been annoyed by her husband for years and years, because he's always called himself the fastest American marathoner. And he's not. Um, he he ran really fast in Boston on a very fast <laughs> with a tailwind. He's not the American record holder. Um, but anyway, but she's actually she's taking a step farther and she's actually calling herself the master's record holder. So, yeah. So I really hope um, I really hope no, if I don't know if Des can <laughs> can can beat Sarah Hall, but I'm here. I'm here for the showdown um, yeah, in October. So, yeah. Uh, is Sarah Hall running it, too? Is she running Chicago? That's a good well? question. I, I can't remember if she announced Chicago. I mean, I don't know, like, at this point, who isn't running Chicago. Yeah. Um, a lot of the runners that would be top contenders um, at the Olympic trials, but that fare better on, you know, courses that have more adversity than what we think we're going to see in Orlando. Of course, we don't know because they haven't released the course. But somebody like um, a strength runner like Nell Rojas and, you know, Molly Seidel, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so they're also registered for Chicago. And, um, and I think most women who really feel like they can contend for a top three spot in February, they need to, they need to get that experience on like a flatter, faster course. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens in Chicago. If it's a blistering hot day in Chicago, that's even better. Cause I don't know, Orlando can be nice in February, but yeah, <laughs> it's nice more likely if you're going to warm. Disney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the big problem in February 
with Orlando right now is um, the start time is tentatively at 12 o'clock for the TV window. And I just, that's, that's unfathomable. Michelle, thanks for reading the book with me. I enjoyed it. And thanks for reviewing the book with me. Yeah. Guess Uh we'll have to go pick another book now. I know we will. By all means, folks, if you have a book that you have been wanting to read about endurance sports or about running specifically, reach out to us, let us know, and we will consider it for the next book of the quarter here. Um, Whatever it is, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again, Michelle. All right. Take care. Talk to you later. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasant podcast, on Twitter at pleasant podcast, on Instagram at most pleasant exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. Be sure to share us with your friends. We're brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com. Their Twitter is at ITL Coaching, and their Facebook group is facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them on Instagram at ITL Coaching. We're also proud to be sponsored by Elemental Altitude, Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com, on Instagram at Elemental Altitude, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Elemental Altitude. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at highechelonCPA.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.